is Ashley. This is Karen. And this is The Musicals. We're here today at the Des Moines Civic Center, and we're very excited to be here with our special guest. Please introduce yourself. My name is Jeff Chelsvig. I'm the president and CEO of Des Moines Performing Arts. Great. Thank you so much for having us today. We um, have loved theater for a long time, mm -hmm. and we have been season ticket holders here at the Des Moines Performing Arts for 10 plus years, and so we're so very excited to sit down and talk with you today. Do you, wanna, do you want to tell us a little bit about your role here at DMPA? Well, I have been in this role for 26 years uh, as the head of this organization. Um, I moved here from St. Petersburg, Florida, but I grew up in northern Iowa. I grew up on a farm. My role here kind of encompasses overseeing the entire organization. Um, as a not-for-profit, we raise well over $3 million a year in donations and grants, so I'm involved with that at some level. I guess I'm the closest to what you would call an artistic director for the organization as well, because um, the programming falls under my uh, purvey, and largely I'm responsible for the Willis Broadway series. Um, and so my role is to select the shows that we want to do, uh, get them routed through our facility and work around the Des Moines Symphony dates and all of the things. We start with this with Broadway because we work about a year and a half out with that and then lay in the Des Moines Symphony and then we start um, handing it over to our other programming folks to kind of fill in the uh, open dates. So my role with Broadway is really being involved with pretty much everything in terms of getting the shows selected, getting them uh, booked, and then our team takes over to sell them, <laughs> to sell season tickets, to uh, put them on sale, to get them built in our ticketing system, to advance the shows for all of the production work. And by the time the show gets here, I have so little to do. <laughs> they get, they, I'm very untrustworthy, so they don't give me any, anything to do during the performances. You're probably already on to the next season. Anyway. I was just going to say 2023 is what you're thinking about right now, That's right? exactly right. Yep. Yes. Yes, so if you want to drop any hints, I'm just kidding. I'm pretty good at playing poker face. Yeah. So, uh. um, how did you get into doing this for uh theater in the sense of did you when you moved here is this what you were doing in Florida or yeah I've been in the entertainment business for almost 40 years okay. and uh, as a professional I started my background in terms of my arts experience was mostly in band and chorus in mm -hmm. uh, junior high and high school uh, I was in the senior musical uh, that our school did uh, which was My Fair Lady and um, I was had no stage experience, and I was selected as Henry Higgins, which is the male lead role. And I said, it's never going to get any better than that. So <laughs> I quit while I was ahead and uh, then shifted to being uh, started as a stagehand in college and then became a technical director and then worked my way into management. So um, most of my background initially was backstage. Gotcha. Which is not uncommon. There's a lot of people that come up through that ranks, mm -hmm. through those ranks. It's, um, I know the uh, general director for the Metropolitan Opera for years was uh, was a master carpenter at the Metropolitan Opera oh, and then became nice. the director of the organization. So. so you said you're in charge of getting the Broadway series put together. 
how do you choose which shows are going to be coming, and, and why does Des Moines get such good shows? I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a good question. Um, so the way that things typically work is that tours are generally about a year behind Broadway. Mm-hmm. And most of the shows that we bring are, are, you know, begin on Broadway. Some of them start in London, uh, but most of the time there it has a life on Broadway and then it goes out on tour. To be really blunt about this it's 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 a lot of time that i spend in new york well i used to (laughs) that hasn't been the case for a long time but um pre-covid i was in new york at least once a month and the good thing about this role was for a long time i was very active on the board of governors for the broadway league which is the um, trade association for broadway in new york and on the road and having monthly meetings to attend there um, was easy to go to New York and, and then uh, see shows. Um, because I'm a voter for the Tony Awards, then I have to see everything on Broadway. So generally have had a rhythm of going in uh, once a month and seeing two or three shows and then coming home. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and um, that all worked great until it until didn't. <laughs> So um, really, by the time we kind of get to the Tony Awards, we have an idea of what we think the shows are going to be. And in, in many years, there are already discussions even before the Tony Awards, as, especially in this weird year, because you know many of these shows opened two years ago. Mm-hmm. First of all, I will tell you what plays in New York will generally play really well in Des Moines. Okay. Um, I have learned over the years that this is an incredibly smart audience. They are very well versed in theater. They travel a lot. They read a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, it's really about trying to make sure that we are bringing the best that we can. And believe me, there hasn't really ever been a show that we wanted that we didn't get because we have a very large subscription base, very large theater, wonderful audience, our costs are relatively low compared to bigger sh- cities, and we pay the same for the shows as Chicago pays. So, you know, it's um, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. Wow. So nobody turns you down. That's awesome. Yeah, that is great. <laughs> yes. yeah. And we are very appreciative of scheduling. We thoroughly enjoy the day that the new uh, season is released, and we actually do like. <laughs> compare notes and swap a lot of emails yes. on, that, on that morning. So, For yes. sure. That's part of why this whole thing started. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I yes. did hear, I did listen to your podcast about yeah. after our announcement, which was great. Yeah. I, was really, yeah. I remember recording that in my closet. Oh. <laughs> you know, we weren't supposed to go. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it seemed very soundproof. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was rebooking shows because um, it happened so many times. I mean, we, we were scheduled to begin um, performances of My Fair Lady on March 17th, which was, uh, you know, Broadway shut down on March 12th. We didn't know if it would be months or weeks mm-hmm. or how long, and so we just kept the booking agents. Um, it's a relatively small number of booking agents that deal with all the shows, so there's probably only about 
four or five agencies that we work with regularly. So being in contact with them and, you know, constantly shifting things around and it's going to be a hopscotch from season to season for a while, but uh, it will all work out hopefully. It's okay. I've got a lot of things on my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm excited. Well, yeah. a twisted benefit is the entire country is in the same boat, right. you know, so it's not like right. we're the little pocket who's missing out on everything. No, 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 but yeah. that's unfortunate that the entire country is in the same boat. The tough thing, the good thing like with Hamilton was we were supposed to be in December uh, with our return engagement and now we're in May. The good thing is there's four companies of touring of Hamilton. Most shows only have one touring company. So okay. with Wicked, we kind of had to go to the back of the line had, after, you know, canceling those dates. So uh, it'll be a while. So thinking of Wicked, I have two young children. And um, when a season comes out, I'm really looking forward to a show that will appeal to families. Mm-hmm. And so when Wicked was canceled, that was very sad for me personally. <laughs> but do you, when you're scheduling shows, are you trying to kind of get that big base, uh, kind of something for everyone? Invariably, there are going to be shows that are going to play for everyone. When I started really looking at programming for the Broadway series, what I finally decided was that you had to kind of choose. You can either be a family-friendly all across the board, or you can say, this is, I hope you don't mind the term, a date night, whether that's Mm -hmm. a date with a spouse or a partner or friend or sister or brother, you know, whoever that is. And that has served me really well because I believe the shows in that package have to be that's the target audience. I remember when we did Stomp the very first time, which was years ago, and, and I, I'll never forget this. Um, talking with the producers, they had two completely different campaigns. One was targeted at hip young people, and the other was targeted at families. And they didn't want this group to know that they were targeting that <laughs> other group. They wanted them to all mash together. But they had two completely different campaigns. And... Um, to, but to me, when I look at the, the Willis Broadway series and trying to curate that series, I think this is about adults coming to the theater. There will be shows on the series that will play to a young, you know, to younger people. Usually, those are add-on shows mm-hmm. um, to the series. But just thinking about next season, um, depending on how old your children are, it you know, Kill a Mockingbird would be a great show for. A middle school, you know, somebody that has read the book. Um, So there will be some crossover. Nice. I just was curious. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're right. They usually are the add-ons, which actually is kind of nice because then as a season ticket holder, you can see what you want, but you don't decide. Right. Yeah. That's right. And and you are right. We do it as a date night. We have a group of four ladies Mm -hmm. and we've been going to it for years and it's a nice girls night out. Mm -hmm. We do dinner beforehand and... You always enjoy the show. That's yes. fantastic. <laughs> it's always the seasons, I feel like every season there's like a hidden gem that like fries under the radar and then it's like, oh, I would never have thought about that. And one particular example I'm thinking of is Fun Home, mm-hmm. which we loved Fun Home. Fun home I didn't know anything about it walking in and I that was actually, Fun Home was the trigger for this podcast, but it was just this little hidden gem that didn't know anything and it was it was great it was so good i was just talking with a friend of mine the other night and we were talking about tony awards and the producers of fun home or there's the three lead producers are all very good friends of mine and um i went to the tony awards that year and then went to a party for one of the shows that did not win and it was like crickets (laughs) and then went to the fun home party and that was 
a riot. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the tough things about the Tony Awards. You always hope that you're invited to the parties that uh, for the winners. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Fun Home was, again, one of those gems that, uh, yeah. you're right, people really love that show. So talking about the Tonys, those just happened this past week, and I see you have a form in front of you, and oh. you said you vote for Tonys. Mm-hmm. How does that work? I've been a Tony voter for 25 years. The way that uh, that that happens is I am a member of the Broadway League, and the Broadway League is one of the two organizations that give the Tony Awards. It's the American Theater Wing and the Broadway League, and so they have a joint partnership to present the Tony Awards. As a full member, I have to be. I well, previously I had to qualify every year to be a Tony voter, which means that uh, the category that I'm in as a pre- as a presenter on the road, we have to do so many touring shows, performances in a year to qualify. This year, I, it was my 25th year, so now I'm a lifetime voter, so I don't have to qualify <laughs> anymore. <laughs> so you have to see the shows. I mean, unlike the Grammys or the Oscars or the Emmys where you can listen to the songs mm-hmm. if it's Grammy voter, or I know people that are Academy members that get, you know, I don't know if it's discs anymore, right. downloads of the movies, they can watch those at home. Tony's, you have to see the show in New York. <laughs> um, and it's usually one of, you know, it's one of the time. You can't, I would love it if we could do six shows in a day, but oh you do one uh, a day yeah. or two a day, depending sure. if there's a matinee. And and the shows open and close all throughout the year. There's usually about 30 to 40 shows in a typical season on Broadway. So the trick is trying to get to see them when they're open. And so that's hence the monthly do you watch them knowing they're on the ballot or do you just watch them great, hoping that they will be on the so ballot? That's a great question. Um, typically, you don't know because the nominations okay. don't come out until late April, early mm-hmm. May. So the season kind of begins that previous year. So for 80% of the season, you yeah. don't know. Once they announce the, the nominations, then you have about a month Okay. to see the shows that are still running mm-hmm. that. Um, and so I'll go in in May and see like nine shows yeah. because there's so many of them open in April sure. and they're opening right before the Tony cutoff. And then the ballot is due um, literally on the, the telecast is on Sunday and the ballot is due on Friday. So wow. it's right up to the. Do you walk out of shows and you're like, that's not going to be on the ballot. That's <laughs> <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Um, you know you do, don't no, you? Yeah, no comment. <laughs> I received a press release from your office that um, Des Moines Performing Arts invests in Moulin Rouge, which was a big winner at the Tonys. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean for Des Moines Performing Arts to invest in a show? It's a great question. So we started in 2001, actually, around 2000. We joined a group called Independent Presenters Network. So... In general, there's about, 
I don't exactly know the number of markets that would do um, week-long or more Broadway touring Broadway shows. Probably around 50 to 60 markets. Maybe over 30 of those are affiliated with an organization called Broadway Across America, which is based in New York City. And they partner with performing arts centers around the country to kind of present their Broadway series. So around us, Omaha and Kansas City and Minneapolis are all part of that network. So they are getting, those performing arts centers are getting help from somebody in New York that is helping to kind of curate their season. We're an independent. And so what we started noticing was years ago that Broadway Across America was having success investing in shows and then presenting to the producers a list of the cities that they represented. So we got together and said, why can't we do the same thing? So we formed what's called the Independent Presenters Network. Not a very sexy name, but it, <laughs> it does describe. And we're, we are about between 30 and 40 members as well. We have, so in addition to us, we have organizations like the Kennedy Center, the Amundsen Theater in uh, Los Angeles, Denver Center for the Performing Arts, Broadway in Chicago. We've got a lot of pretty high-profile members. I happen to be the president of that organization right now. We tradition we started our very first investment was a show called Thoroughly Modern Millie. We collectively put a million dollars in. So the members, in general, we had forty members that put twenty-five thousand dollars in. We won the Tony Award. <laughs> so the organization has been investing in a lot of shows since then. We typically have investments in probably five to six shows a year. What we try to do is we, we assign a member of our group will then be assigned to a particular project and then we'll raise the money. The IPN's investment typically is between, I would say, on the low end, $250,000. On the high end, it's a million dollars. But that's collectively. So our typical investment in shows is $25,000. And the reason we do it is we want to make sure that there is an adequate pipeline of shows that are available to us. It's also really terrific to have that kind of relationship with the producer as you're not just a, a buyer of the tour, but you were invested in that show from the very beginning. In some cases, we have actually... Uh, I mean, we're typically in the first year of a tour anyway, but that kind of helps solidify that oftentimes if we're an investor in a show. So we've invested in quite a few shows over the years. And I would say that we, you know, you lose all your money on some, and then there are certain productions that you make a bunch of money. For instance, Spamalot, we made tons of money on that investment. And what that means is once the show, once, so there's a term in, in investing in theater called recoupment. So if you put $25,000 in, the way that it works in very broad strokes is that they have to pay the weekly operating costs of the show in New York. And then whatever is left at the end of a week goes into a little fund. And eventually, then they start making distributions back to the investors to recoup that initial investment. Once the show has completely recouped its initial investment, then the profits are shared 50% to the general partners, 50% to the investors. As an investor in shows like Spamalot and Dear Evan Hansen, we have made a lot of money 
on those. So yeah. <laughs> and then our group is is often we are listed as one of the producers of those shows. So that's why I brought the Tony Award that we're sitting here looking at, which is for the band's visit, uh, because oh. our group um, was an investor in in this, and um, as the president of the organization, I was able to get a medallion. So. Can we take our picture with them? You can. Yes. <laughs> you can act like, you can give a speech. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do you have a bunch of Tonys just laying around there? Well, just four. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, they are all for the Independent Presenters Network, which is, you know, our, our group mm-hmm. name. They're not in the Domain Civic Center. We haven't, we haven't gone out and produced our own show yet, but uh, sure. someday. With the city of Des Moines, and especially now in pandemic time where remote working is becoming more prevalent, you know, people are deciding they're going to leave the coast, move to not only a slower pace of life, but also just cost of living and things like that. Uh, How much work do you do with the city of Des Moines for essentially advertising? Because this is something that I think about. I have family that lives in Ohio, uh, near Cincinnati. I have friends that live in Indianapolis. And... I constantly am talking about like, oh, Des Moines gets this, oh, Des Moines gets that. I mean, it, to me, it's a huge selling point. Mm-hmm. How much is DMPA involved in essentially uh, marketing the city of Des Moines? Well, you know, um, <laughs> I would say that for the bigger shows, I think we get some recognition for that. I think um, something that we talk about a lot is that there is sometimes a sense that people take it for granted that okay. we are getting the kinds of shows that we get. And it's not high on the list sometimes for some of the organizations that market Des Moines. But I understand. I'm, I, it, okay. You know, it doesn't... It should be. It, it should be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think bike trails should be too. I, mean, yeah. I, I use them all the time and I think it's yeah. a huge selling point. But, you know, I mean, we were, you know, we modestly say we were the 18th city in the world to have a production of Hamilton on our mm-hmm. stage. And that's kind of a big deal in, in some circles. But um, obviously, it's a show that is going to play just about every major market in North America and beyond. So it isn't, uh, it was just, we were fortunate enough to be early in the tour. So I think that what people don't realize, you mentioned about going out to dinner, Ashley. Um, I think people do not equate sometimes what having a week-long engagement of a Broadway show will do for the restaurants mm-hmm. and the parking lots sure. and the hotels. Yeah. It is something that um, we hear from folks all the time. The things that get a lot of attention are the World Pork Expo. It's a great event, brings thousands of people to town, but it's here for three days. Mm-hmm. Having Hamilton here for three weeks yeah. is going to have a bigger impact on a restaurant than two nights of the World Pork Expo. With all due respect to the World Pork Expo, because it's a great event for yeah. us. It's lots of hotel rooms, and it's yeah. very important. But on the restaurants, probably better to have a week-long engagement with a Broadway show. And I know people, for Hamilton especially, traveled far and wide mm-hmm. to come here, even though it may have been coming to their city later. We did it first, and we had a long engagement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was... Um, <clears throat> I was shocked how many people I just ran into randomly that were from Los Angeles or San Francisco. They were like, we can't get tickets into Los Angeles, and it's a lot cheaper. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, it was really an amazing time. Coming up in just a few weeks, I suppose one week from the airing of this podcast, is um, the band's visit. So we're back. We're going to be back in the doors of the Civic Center. Yes. Um, 
Can you tell us a little bit about the show? Can you tell us a little bit about what theater is going to look like in the midst of a global pandemic? (laughs) (laughs) The first thing is we are requiring guests to uh, be vaccinated or have a negative COVID test. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the theater will be masked, uh, except the performers on stage. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that Safety has always been our first and foremost priority, and safety not only of our own people, but the fact that this touring company will be coming from Durham, North Carolina, and coming to us, and this will be the first move of the show, and then they go to Nashville after us, and we have the responsibility to them to be as safe as we can with all of the things. So we're working with them. I think the only thing you'll really notice when you come to the Civic Center is come a little earlier because we will be checking cards. We'll be allowing people to show us their vaccination card or their test on their phone so it isn't that you have to have the the actual uh, certificate. We're doing mobile ticketing for the first time. Uh, Even though if you have a band's visit ticket from long ago, it will still work. Um, but if you don't, you need to download our app. And we just went through this with the Des Moines Symphony last weekend, and it worked great. The, the wonderful thing is that if you show up with a ticket, that will scan, but it can also show up with the app, and that will have the ticket on it. We have new security system. We won't be doing the wanding. You literally walk through a new system called Evolve, and it will scan you and see if there's any weapons on you. And if they are, we will ask you to take that back to your car. The other thing is we are doing cashless bars. So it'll be um, credit cards or Apple Pay or Google Pay or debit cards only. That system was rolled out for the first time with Symphony. We're great. So uh, it's going to look a little different. And having uh, a sea of masks uh, people in the audience. Uh, But that's terrific. I mean, it felt really good during the symphony to see that. It's really important for people to realize that almost everything else that's happened in the last four to six months of terms of large groups of people coming is outdoors. Mm-hmm. So this is indoors. We can't mm-hmm. do social distancing because of the costs of these shows. So we're really um, happy with the response that we've gotten from our guests in terms of I had a number of people come up and say we wouldn't be coming to the symphony if it weren't for these protocols. The band's visit is based on the 2007 Israeli film of the same title. And it is about, um, I was thinking about this because I, I know that you two, I believe, are pretty fond of the show Come From Away. Yes. Yeah. Okay. My favorite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... If you take away the 9-11 element, this is a very similar story because it is about a group of people that end up um, in a place that they didn't expect to go. And then they are kind of thrust into the hands of locals that have the choice to perhaps help take care of them. So in this case, it is an Egyptian um, ceremonial band that travels to Israel to open a new Arab cultural center and... They expect to be greeted when they get to Israel by uh, a contingency that is not there. So they decide to take a bus and they end up, let's just say it doesn't work the way that they thought it was going to. It's an incredible musical. The film, I loved the film. I saw it before I saw the musical. And then um, this won a bunch of uh, Tony Awards. 
including Best Musical, and David Yazbek, who wrote the score. It's it's a terrific score, and um, he wrote the music and lyrics. The producer is his name is Oren Wolf, and he's a, a good friend of mine. In fact, I just saw him this summer, and um, he was the one who literally went to see the film with his wife and walked out and said this should be a musical and developed it into what it is. And the woman who played the lead female Dina in the in the in the musical, her name is Katrina Lake. And uh, she is now playing Bobby in the new revival of Company on Broadway, uh, in which the genders are changed. And I was at a party for the band's visit, and across the room, a friend of mine says, Charles Vig. And I come over, and he points to Katrina Lincoln, and he said, she's from Des Moines. <laughs> And she looks at me, she says, well, Clive, really. (laughs) (laughs) And she grew up here until she was about 10. Then her family moved to uh, Chicago, but she studied violin. She did her dance recital with the Betty Hill Dance Company here on our stage. And she won a Tony Award for for the Broadway show. So the other cool thing about the band's visit is the kind of the lead male character in the band's visit, the, um, both the film and the musical, is is the conductor of the ceremonial band. And the gentleman who played that role in the film, which came first, replaced Tony Shalhoub, who mm. played it on Broadway, replaced him after Tony left the show and now is going to be doing the tour. So, um, oh, nice. so we will have the film star yeah. in the touring company, which very is cool. very cool. So is the music going to, the stylings of the music going to be like Western Asian? Yes. Yeah, Mediterranean. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I'm it's really terrific. looking forward to that. And it's played by the actual members of the band, band. much of yes. it. So excellent. it's it's Good. it's really terrific. Yeah. I'm looking forward to being back in the theater. Yes. <laughs> you should. I think, you know, it's going to be, it's going to take a while, but I think really what, I think once you come and you, and you experience it and you experience the protocols and all of those, I think hopefully the next time will be easier, mm-hmm. you know? It's with any sort of world-changing event, I take some adjustment, but we adjust. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the first thing that pops into my head is 9-11. Mm-hmm. We've, we had to adjust to increase security. Mm-hmm. And we That's have. Right. That's right. So we take our shoes off. Yep, so, that's right. <laughs> and now, now it's not a big deal. Yeah, exactly. We just wear our masks. That's so, right. Yeah. That's right. How can we support you? What do you ask of us <laughs> as uh, as podcasters, the great influencers that we are? I think you're doing a great job. I appreciate. I truly appreciate your your thoughts and your input. The season ticket situation for us is really the the secret sauce and that's true for most performing arts organizations is uh, season tickets have been something that are really the the lifeline for us because commercial theater is still commercial theater and so it is still about and it's very expensive for us to do a show a a one-week engagement of a broadway show at the civic center our our financial risk oftentimes is six to seven hundred thousand dollars just for that week because we're paying the show to come here we're paying for all of the costs all the stagehands all the musicians in the pit we're paying who are most of the time are local we're paying for all the advertising we're paying for all of the staff in the building 
So it's it's expensive. So it is it's a wonderful thing to have season tickets. And I loved your comment, Karen, about how you you see a show almost every year that is like, wow, I would have mm-hmm. never gone to yeah. that. But I'm so glad I did. Yeah. And we've had a strong commitment to doing plays, mm-hmm. the touring plays. I think we I think since two thousand six, I think we have done every touring play that's been out there. I think. I can't think of anything that escaped us. And that's not true for many cities. A lot of cities say, ah, it's going to be too, you know, I might lose money on it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people really like the plays. That's the other hidden gem as well, too. There have been a lot of plays where I'm just, I would never have thought I would enjoy it. And I did very much so. The humans, the curious incident of the night dog of the That's nighttime. the one. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that one for so long. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I still think about it. Yes, I really do. I still think about that. Yeah. I don't know if you saw August Osage County. Um, no, yeah, I didn't see that, that one. Was, and that was, I'll tell you, that was three acts, uh, almost four hours long, wow. and still have people that come up and talk about it to me all the time. I have one final question. Okay. Totally out there. Favorite musical of all time. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. That's a tough one. I don't have a favorite. I think oftentimes I attach a lot of sentiment to sure. certain shows that I saw a certain mm-hmm. time. I will admit I love The Music Man because mm. it's got great music and it's set in Iowa. I love yep. that. I'm a huge fan of the Bridges of Madison County, okay. which uh, we opened the tour yes. a few years ago. And that was, again, a, a show that, that I began tracking very early. We were investors in the show. We opened the tour here. I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I think okay. there, there's a lot of a, a, a lot of other great musicals that I've loved, but I see so many over the course of a year that it's like, uh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like trying to pick your favorite child. Yeah, I think that's. I I would think that's true. Yeah, my favorite show is the band's visit. <laughs> well, thank you so very much for taking the time to talk with us today. We really. It's appreciate my pleasure. It very much. Well, thank you for what you do. I really appreciate what you're doing, and um, I've enjoyed many walks listening to the two of you. So, yes. yeah. It's kind of fun to think about. That. <laughs> yes. there just wanted to take a quick moment to ask you to subscribe to our podcast wherever it is you're listening rate us and review us and that helps other listeners find us and also lets us know what it is you like about our podcast find us on facebook at the musicals or email us at desmusicals at gmail.com tell us what you think about the shows that we've reviewed or recommend a show for us to watch and we'd be happy um, to take your input reach out to us we'd love to hear from you Bye.